Welcome. You're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. This is your host, John Marchalero, and this week my guest is TMO contributor Andrew Orr. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. For the listeners, you are a contributing editor at the Mac Observer, joined us just a few years ago, assigned to the Morning News Desk. You're also a science and nature lover as well as an amateur photographer. So that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, uh, photography and my nature loving and science loving kind of tie into each other. So that's uh, produces some interesting results. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to, as I do with all my guests, I want to back up and, and ask you about how you got where you are today and uh, what were you doing when you were growing up and what were you interested in and what were your earliest aspirations that mm-hmm. you can remember? Tell me about that. Yeah. So I think my sort of aspiration for writing started early on. Um, I remember my sister Amanda and I, when I was a kid, we would create these uh, fantasy stories where one of us would write a paragraph and then we'd give the hand the paper over to the other person and, you know, build on what they wrote. And so we kept doing that back and forth. So that was probably uh, the earliest writing stuff for me. So you were writing then, at an early age. Yeah. No wonder you're so And kind. then, <laughs> well, thank you. And that was just, you know, on my own time at home. Probably, let's see, when I was in first grade, I remember I had a typing class and we learned touch typing, which, you know, they put that special cover over the keys and we would have to memorize where each key was. And we did typing games and things like that. So was that on on an electric or a computer? uh, That was on a computer. Were you exposed to computers uh, at home as well? Were your parents uh, computer people? Um, I wouldn't say there were computer people, but uh, we did get our first computer. I think it was in 2003 or four, and uh, it was an Adele running Windows XP. Oh, poo. <laughs> oh Adele and XP. What a wonderful combination. <laughs> I know. And uh, so then with that PC, that also kind of planted the seed for what I would be doing in college because... Um, you know, it's Windows XP. It was pretty vulnerable to viruses and malware. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. my sister Elizabeth and I had to team up and uh, work together and take a couple of viruses off of our computer. So, I mean, I had fun doing that. How old were you when this was happening? Oh, let's see. I mean, I'm trying to do math in my head. So I'm 27 <laughs> now. But in 2004, that might have been when I was 13 or 14, maybe. Removing viruses from a computer at age 13, <laughs> that's, oh, that's just <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Did you have computers in school? Um, we used? did. So I did have a, a couple more computer classes in middle school. Um, I, I did have a, another typing class, which was just focused on some more touch typing and computer games. And I think the other computer class was mostly a general communications class. 
At what point did you discover Macintoshes? Um, I mean, I was my family was uh, pretty kind of poor growing up, so I didn't really afford my own Mac until 2014, I think. Mm. So my first Mac ended up being a MacBook Air. Were you already interested in science and computers and cool and in uh, in high school? Uh, definitely. I mean, going back to what we said in the beginning, I've, I mean, I've loved science since I was a kid. I never really thought I was smart enough to be a scientist. Oh though. yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I didn't really like the idea of, you know, going to school for 10 years to get a doctorate or whatever it was. So, you know, that's about how long s- it takes, you know, four years in undergraduate, two years for master's five or six or sometimes even seven years for a PhD and then a couple years as a postdoc, usually pushing about 40 by the time you roll out with a PhD. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So I kind of swerved a bit. Um, (laughs) Avoided. (laughs) Yeah. So where did I swerve? So um, in high school... When I started thinking about career opportunities, my first idea was to get into photography because not only was I exposed to writing at an early age, but art kind of runs in my family. A lot of people on my dad's side of the family are artists. And Mm. I first started out with, you know, watercolors and ink wash. I took art classes in high school and I kind of, you know, channeled that art into slightly different than, you know, traditional brush and paper art into photography. So now I know why you're so good at the Mac Observer, (laughs) because you have an artistic flair of creativity. You can write well and you're technical with computers, having started with PC viruses at an early age. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite a background. You know, it's a unique background and I mean, I'm never one to brag or anything, but I think it's kind of unique and maybe not rare, but uncommon to be able to be a creative and also a technical person. That's right. And I think they kind of mesh pretty well together. Yeah, a lot of the guys uh, at TMO and and their colleagues are uh, musicians, Dave Hamilton, Brian Chaffin. I don't have any musical talent whatsoever, but they really do, and they're in bands. And I think yeah. that appreciation and mastery of music has something to do with the way your brain functions as a creative writer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think so. So you went to Badenoch Community <clears throat> College. What did you study there? Did you continue on your interest in science? Um, I didn't. So, um, like I said in the earlier, I you know, I started out trying to do photography. Um there's certain things going on in my life at the time where that kind of didn't happen. And uh, so I ended up sw- switching my interests back to computers. And so I went to Badenoch Community College, which is a local college where I'm here now in Escanaba, Michigan. And my, the degree that I was going for was called Computer Network Systems and Security. Ah, security. Oh, now I explain something else. Why you're such a security guru at the Mac Observer? (laughs) Ah. I yeah, I I read a lot. Fall into place here. 
Yeah. So I write a lot about uh, security stuff and data breaches and all that kind of thing. So where is Beta Not Community College? Well, where are you? I don't want to pin you down specifically, but just generally, regionally, where are you located? So I'm right now, I'm in Escanaba, Michigan. My hometown is called Manistique, and it's probably about 45 minutes away. So this is in the the southern upper peninsula of Michigan, which is right at the top of Lake Michigan. And I'd say, I mean, Escanaba definitely isn't the biggest city up here, but I would say it's up there, like in the top 10. It must be cold. It is. Um, several days ago, we got dumped on by about a foot of snow. So um, we're still dealing with the after effects of that. <laughs> Are there ski areas in that neck of the woods? Um, yeah. So I don't know how active is it, it is anymore, but um, there's another city about an hour away called Iron Mountain. And they have this man-made ski hill on top of, you know, the Iron Mountains. And I'm pretty sure at one point it was a contender, at least, for being one of the highest ski hills in the world. And I, I don't remember, like, when it was active, probably a couple decades ago. But How can, how can yeah. it be the highest ski area in the world in Michigan when... I think, I think Loveland in, in, you know, in Colorado has a record for the highest exit of a ski lift, uh, something like yeah. 11,200 feet when you get off the lift. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know the elevation here. And I mean, I, I may have gotten that wrong. That's just what someone had told me who lived there. And she was saying that, you know, it used to be Maybe very it's the man back in the mind. day. Yeah. Like I said. Yeah, maybe that's it. Like something specific like that. So what did you do after you left uh, Beta Nock? Well, um, after Bay, uh, confession, I didn't actually graduate. I was there for two years, and it was just a two-year degree anyway. But I came close. I had some bad grades, and I decided to take a hiatus, which kind of stretched longer and longer. So, um, so after college, I basically did some odd jobs here and there until I started writing in, I think 2013 or 14 again. Um, so the first couple of websites I wrote to or wrote for were just, I wrote for free just as a way to yeah, I did exposure, too. get my yeah, name out there. Started. Yeah. Or, just get your name yeah. out there, get some practice, you know, right, right for free. Yep. Yep. I know the drill. Mm -hmm. What were some and sites here's you wrote for? So here's another confession. Um, now be careful. I now wrote, this is going out to a wide audience. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> In 2015 to actually, yeah, like late 2015 to 2016, I wrote for an Android website. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's the craft, right? <laughs> yeah. Learning it's the still craft. Writing. <laughs> yeah. So does that so mean that web does that mean that you started off as an Android nutcase and an Android phone, a Samsung and all that stuff? See, it, it's kind of weird because 
I I have used some Android phones in the past, but I ended up like buying my first iPhone I think in 2015. So they knew that I had an iPhone while it was writing for them. <laughs> I think they were mostly okay with it. So it was a well, little that's, unusual. That's a real art, you know. Here at the Mac Observer, you know, we buy things so we can write about them. That's why we get a new iPhone every year, and you know, you got to have one in your mm-hmm. hand to write about. So for you to be using an iPhone and writing about Android, that's a particular technical writing trick that I admire. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, there was, I think, one Android phone that I, I like one of my colleagues sent to me and I reviewed, but I didn't really like it. So I had an Android tablet and then for after- a while that I reviewed. And Android can be cool visually. It's just that the innards I- and the security is what I worry about. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not in, you know, one of those Android haters. There was just nothing really compelling to keep me on Android. And that's the thing. I just ended up switching to iOS because it was, it looked prettier. And I just stuck with it since then. Now, you started out as a mobile type, as a lot of people do. So your your first iOS, your first Apple device was an iPhone, right? And then you then you got an iPad, and then the MacBook Air came later. Yeah. So um, my first Apple device was an iPad Touch back in college in 2011, and then I also ended up getting I bought the iPad Two from one of my roommates. So I did start mobile as I I wrote about that in my iPad review where I wanted to share my opinion on it as the iPad is your main computer because all of these writers are coming from a Mac to the iPad. Well, I'm doing the opposite. I started out on the iPad and then I went to the Mac. So you I were, think my perspective on that is a little different. Yeah, you were on the verge of telling me some of the sites that you wrote for because that's the path to getting discovered. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah. So after the Android website, right before I wrote for the Mac Observer, I was writing for a VPN company and I was writing, you know, some more technical stuff, basically about VPNs and privacy and security. And then getting a job at the Mac Observer was it kind of happened by chance. Let's talk about that in the second half of the show. Okay. Okay. All right. I want to take a break here right now. Uh, we got to, we've come to the close of section one, uh, folks, and uh, we have to take a short commercial break. When we come back, I'm chatting with TMO contributor Andrew Orr. We'll talk about how he got discovered by the Mac Observer. We'll be back in 60 seconds. Stay with us. Hello there, all you fabulous background mode listeners. I'm Kelly Gamont with the Mac Observer, and I just want to say a few words about how you can support all the things we do. If you're thinking about buying something from Apple, Amazon, or Mac Mall, just go to the Mac Observer's homepage where we have a section called Support TMO. Or you can just enter macobserver.com forward slash Apple Store, all one word, and that will take you to our special page for Apple and our other affiliates. If you make a purchase from one of our partners this way, the Mac Observer receives a small compensation for sending business their direction. Pretty cool, right? And you don't pay a penny more. This small fee from our affiliates helps us continue to bring you TMO's daily news, reviews, tips, how-tos, and podcasts like this one. So the next time you're thinking about an online purchase, come to TMO's homepage and support the Mac Observer. Thanks. Back to you, John. And we're back. I'm chatting with Andrew Orr. 
So you were writing for the for an Android magazine, and then suddenly you came to the attention of Brian Chaffin. Is that right? Yeah. So I went from Android to a VPN company, and then while I was at the VPN company, um, it it happened by chance where I was just browsing Twitter one day, and the Mac Observer was one of many Apple websites I was following. And one day I just happened to be browsing it at the right time where the the Mac Observer account tweeted out that they were looking to hire and to inquire within. So I did. I think I emailed them first. And then Brian emailed me and told me to call him. And we had this conversation. And did you I have to told submit him, samples of your writing or point to URLs? Um, I, I did. So I submitted that. And then, you know, we had that conversation. And Brian said that he was really liking my work and what I had done. And he talked it over with Dave. And a couple of days later, he called me back and said I was hired. When, when year was this? 2016? Yeah, so I started in late 2016. And how many articles have you written since? Um, well, I made this announcement in Slack um, maybe back in October, November. So I passed the 1,000th article month, or 1,000 article month, a mark for news, but I don't know how many other formats that I've written, but they're, it's probably getting close to that too. Do you compose your articles right in WordPress or do you write them externally and then drop, mark them up and drop them in? Just curious. Because most of us write in BB Edit <laughs> and use some sort of um, tool to do HTML markup and then just drop it into WordPress and poof, poof there it is. Well, see, I tried doing something similar, but I like I tried using a tool. I think it might have been Ulysses. That's a writing app, and oh, I yeah, tried using that because you can publish it directly to WordPress. But I don't think my writing account has the right permissions for that. So I'm writing just directly in WordPress, mm-hmm. and you know, WordPress does have a good app. They've updated it a lot, but because we have custom WordPress categories, I can only write news articles there, so I can't write link teasers or uh, CSFs in the WordPress app. Ah, okay. Do you use Text Expander? Just curious. Um, I don't know. Oh, you got to try it because uh, if you have to do any HTML markup, it's really fast to, to have snippet abbreviations. Anyways, that's a subroutine. We turn from subroutine. So a thousand articles in two years. Wow. You, yeah. For the listeners who, who may not be familiar with Andrew's work yet, he's writing five to seven news or, or total articles, links and news and whatever every day at the Mac Observer. It's amazing. You are a, yeah. you are a word machine. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm actually writing eight articles per day. That was... Um, Brian, um, like my writing, uh, what do you call it? Like number of submissions has changed a couple of times. So right now I'm at eight submissions a day where I write four news pieces and then four short pieces, which can be either a link teaser or a CSF. Wow. Wow. And you are always on top of the news. When I come on in the morning and take a look at what you've done, 
you are always on top of the pulse of the news. How do you do that? What if you're not giving away any secrets? So what sources and tools <laughs> do you use to uh, keep on top of what's hot every morning in the news? Yeah, so I mainly use three sources. So I'm I'm a big fan of Apple News. I really like it. And I also use RSS feeds with this app called Reader. Mm-hmm. And I like that a bit more than Apple News just because I can get a, a giant feed of everything in a short, like, condensed format. And then sometimes I'll also go on Reddit because they have a bunch of Apple subreddits. And, you know, people will post news and their personal stories there. And sometimes if someone posts a personal story, I'll I'll send them a message and say, hey, I'm a writer from so-and-so. You mind if I share this? And I'll give you credit, of course. So. Hmm. I, I follow a lot of Mac writers on Twitter. And because it's, you know, part of your branding to do self-promotion, every mm-hmm. writer who publishes what they think is important for everybody else to read, they send it out on Twitter. And if I, if I figure if I follow all of the, all of the Mac writers, I'm going to pick up a goodly amount of stuff every day. It's especially helpful for my Friday column mm-hmm. on Particle Debris. Yeah. Yeah, I do use Twitter occasionally, too. I follow both other websites and other writers. But for some reason, I just don't seem to get as many news there as I do elsewhere. So what's your current Mac of choice? I think you have a computer that's newer than the old MacBook Air. Um, a little bit newer. So I'm using, I bought this used on eBay. It's a uh, 2014 MacBook Pro. And this is pre-touch bar. Um, mm-hmm. But after no the CD. previous no, models. No DVD. So yeah, no thin, DVD. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 It's a pretty cool computer. What do you think of the touch mm-hmm. bar? Would you, do you do you wish you had a MacBook Pro with a touch bar, or do you think it's some, a gimmick? You know, I think it might be a gimmick. <laughs> like, I can see it having some utility in certain situations, but I don't know. It just seemed to me to be a weird move by Apple. Yeah, I'm kind of in your camp. I think I agree with you. Although having Touch ID to start it up, that's pretty nice. Yeah, that's definitely nice. So as you've evolved over the last couple of years at the Mac Observer and written so many articles, you must have developed some technical specialties and interests. We talked about security, of course. Is there anything mm-hmm. else that comes to mind that you really love writing about in addition to security and privacy? Um, well, I do like um, augmented reality. I think that's a very interesting space. And I've always been kind of bullish on the rumor that Apple might eventually release their own AR headset. Mm -hmm. Whether it be, you know, eyeglasses or Apple glasses or something else. It It just seems likely to me that they would do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Like, um... Like, I'll I'll expand a little bit further. So right now, we have ARKit, which is great, but it's only on the iPhone. And 
maybe it's just me or maybe this could be applied to other people too, but I don't like, I think it's cool, but I don't really want to constantly hold my phone in front of my face to be able to use it. And whether Apple or not will create glasses or not, I guess it depends on what they want AR to be. I mean, Tim Cook is always talking it up in interviews and if you want augmented reality to be what it is right now, just a, a useful tool, a casual tool, then just keep it as it is now on the iPhone. But I think AR has the poten uh, potential to be as big as the Internet was. If you want it to be the second layer of reality, then I think you need to have something like glasses where it's, you know, in your face all the time. And so it just becomes second nature. Right. I agree. And we've heard lots of rumors. And, and as you said, Tim Cook has alluded to it as something that he considers very important. In terms of security, mm -hmm. you know, there have been so many hacks lately and so many notable breaches and Equifax and Marriott and, and Target a few years ago. Uh, it seems like there's no end to the situation. How do you feel about the about the future? Do you think it's just going to get exponentially worse and worse and worse? And, or do you think that it's going to be one of those phases we go through, like the Cold War, where, you know, well, we got through that. It's in our past. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think if we don't do something, then it might just continue on until everyone is, has been impacted in some way. I think if we want it to change, I'm, I'm a big I think regulation, I know not, not a lot of people like that, but I think regulation in, in this area is good. So I th hope we have something like the, like an American version of the GDPR. Yeah. And, but I think, you know, there are plenty of things we can do as individuals besides, you know, voting for politicians. You know, you can have a password manager, um, just good, uh, privacy hygiene i think that's what the term is in general like you know we talked about on tdo today about spam calls spam emails like some of the advice we gave was don't click on or answer phone calls that you don't know or double check with the company itself if you're unsure right. so i think it's a combination of individual stuff and policy wise yeah and we had this uh uh, snafu or whatever with um, the IBM's the Weather Channel tracking location and mm -hmm. uh, I linked to an article that was uh, I think it was Kirk McElhern who talked about how to go into privacy on your phone and then location services and really clamp down which phones can report which applications can report on your location so that's another thing you can do yeah and um, something I had written similarly about, uh, not again with location, um, apparently uh, cell carriers are selling access to our location data oh, to other lovely? companies. Yeah, isn't that just yeah. great? Ducky. And uh, like as an experiment, this writer was able to give his phone number to a bounty hunter and they were able to track down his location. You know, it just never ends unless the unless Congress gets in and, you know, like you said, does a GDPR-like bill that says this is what you can do and what you can't do as a carrier and how you handle the mm -hmm. data. Yeah. And, yes, yeah, and there are 
some talks about this going on that I've heard of. I don't know how far along they are with the talks, but I have heard of uh, the senator, Senator Wyden, who he's a Kelly senator in Oregon. So he had introduced his own privacy bill that's on the state level. And as to the federal level, I think that's still a little bit unsure. And I'm sure there is still plenty of research and talks going on. Yeah. Well, enough of the technical and geeky stuff. We only have a few minutes left, and I wanted to ask you about your hobbies. You have some very interesting hobbies when it comes to nature and nature observation and photography. You you have a website where you've posted some really impressive nature photographs, and in and, and your bio it says you're interested in ferns, fungi, flowers, and bryophytes, <laughs> whatever that is. <laughs> Yeah, so that goes back to, you know, how my interests in science and photography collide. So specifically in science, I like botany. I'm always outside taking pictures. And in photography, I like macro photography. So taking pictures of really small things with this um, lens, this macro lens that I can clip onto my phone. And I like taking pictures of things like fungi and moss I think those are just cool. That's just weird. That, that's just uh, really that's interesting. Just, that's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know. I've never met anybody who is interested in taking photographs in, 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 with macro lenses of mold and fungi. I just <laughs> it's fascinating. I mean, it's just part of your nature. Pardon the pun, but uh, yeah, I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll post uh, a link in the show notes to some of your photography. Um, so, okay. All right. I have one final question for you. What in the world is a youper? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I mentioned I live in the UP. Um, that is the abbreviation for the upper peninsula of Michigan. Okay. And I don't really know how this got created, but eventually UP kind of got changed and, made into slang of youper, which is just what we call ourselves up here. And then in the lower peninsula, we don't say the LP, we just refer to that as downstate. And the slang term for people who live down there are trolls. Now, how did you get from they LP below to the Mackinac Bridge? Ah, ah, the bridge. Yeah, I've been on that bridge. That's an yeah, impressive bridge. bridge. Yeah. It's beautiful, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, you will be a forever. So, yeah, more that's like a, a f- the Mac Observer's Youper. It's great. This morning, <laughs> this morning when you came yeah, on that- TDO, you were you said you were lurking for a little bit. So, I, I was kidding you about being a lurking Youper. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that could uh, be my official title. Yeah, well, so you're stuck with it now. You're in big trouble. All right. <laughs> Well, uh, we've come to the end of the show, and uh, I want to thank you for joining me and telling me about your life and times and your career and how you came to the Mac Observer and and your awesome experience and technical work uh, that you've done so far. I think you're going to be doing some great things for the Mac Observer in the future. So, yeah, this is really cool. Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, hopefully, I, I'll I'll be around at the Mac Observer for a while. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, chatting with you, listeners. I hope you enjoyed listening to. 
Andrew Orr. Andrew, tell the listeners how they can contact you if they wish. I'm pretty easy to find. I tend to stick to the same username, which is Andrew or not. So uh, the best way you can contact me is probably uh, Twitter. And then if you want, if you're on Reddit, you, I'm also on there all the time. So under the same username, like I said, so you can find me there as well. Okay, great. Well, thank you again for joining me on the show, folks. I hope you enjoyed this session with our TMO contributor, Andrew Orr. You've been listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. We'll see you again next week.